I guess like the biggest takeaway that I've had now in three businesses and the biggest, um, this one I've succeeded uh, the quickest in this business. So we were monetized really quickly in six years in the first year. The reason being is because I invested in education, right? So in the first year I did 18 new courses, learned from every single person that was one step ahead of the game or 10 steps ahead of the game or had been doing it for 10 years or whatever it was. I was just like, you are doing what I want to do. I'm going to download your wisdom. I'm going to download your knowledge. I'm going to learn from you. And whether that's buying an e-course or hiring mentor or just reading all the blogs and the videos um, and that has been the biggest aha that I've had in this business because as a fashion stylist you would know in that industry you don't help each other like you would never go hey other competitor fashion stylists like can you help me like it's not how it happens and certainly in fashion design like 10 years ago, there was no such thing as a, oh, you can hire a mentor, like this wasn't a thing. So I think these days, education is so readily available, there's so much content available, whether you buy an e-course or whether you just, you know, dive deep on the free content and educate yourself, rather than bashing around for so long trying to figure out how to do it. Hi, I'm Dan Brophy, and this is Quit Your Day Job a podcast for frustrated creatives. How do you turn what you love into what you do? Each week, I chat to a different creative about how they found a way to monetize their passions. Here at Quit Your Day Job, we believe that the pursuit of what you love is just a process and one that is available to anyone. So what are you waiting for? The journey to becoming more connected to who you are and what you do starts now. Are you working in a job that you're qualified for but have no real connection to? Well, that was the story for engineer turned stylist turned digital marketer and e-course creator Amber Renee. She's the face of her own e-learning channel, and she seeks to inspire and empower her predominantly female audience of aspiring entrepreneurs. Amber Renee is a creative business force of nature. She's transformed her career through multiple incarnations, every time getting closer and closer to her truth. I wanted to chat to Amber Renee about her journey into working for herself, doing work that she really believes in, I want to find out how she upskilled herself along the way and how the closing of some doors has led to the opening of even bigger ones. Amber Renee is someone who I admire for her tenacity, her constant upskilling, and the way she has continued to grow and integrate her creativity, her technical proficiency, and her business skills. This is a great conversation for anyone looking to take the leap from a career that is not really satisfying their spirit. It's a reminder that the road to career fulfillment is a long one. It's full of twists and turns, but when you focus on taking a reward from the journey, there is literally no better place to be. Before we get down to the chat, I need to flag that we actually lost our primary microphone during this conversation. So what we're listening to is actually the backup mic, which is a very good reminder to all the podcasters out there who think that one recording device is enough. Let me tell you, it's not. This was part of a mammoth interview day where I chatted to three or four people. So that would have been a huge waste of time if I had no record of the day. What we are ultimately left with has a little bit of echo. However, once you get into the groove, you'll wonder how you ever lived without it. 
Also, I need to remind you that if you haven't done so already, please subscribe in iTunes. And also, if you enjoy the podcast, do what you can to share the love. You can write a review and rate us on iTunes. You can share a link for an episode that you've really enjoyed by a text message. Or, and this is the most effective, screen capture the point in the episode that you're listening to that you're really inspired by and then post it to Instagram and or Facebook stories. If you're really keen, you can even write a little note alongside it saying what you loved about it. But don't forget to at Dan Brophy and hashtag the Quit Your Day Job podcast. Now onto my chat with stylist turned e-course creator and digital marketing expert, Amber Renee. Enjoy. So, Amber Renee, thank you for having a chat. Super excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I really wanted to. We bumped into each other at the gym a couple of, of nights course. ago. <laughs> Where else? And I had all these questions I wanted to ask you, but I had to sit on the impulse to ask you then because I knew we were going to be getting together now. Uh, but oh, for context, I love to ask people, hey, when someone says, what do you do? What do you tell them? I say I'm a digital marketer and e-course creator. So it's a bit of a weird one because I normally get blank faces when I say that. So sometimes I just say, oh, I work online. Yeah, digital nomad. Does that make it more easy to understand? To me it does, but to many people who aren't familiar with this, what that exciting space looks like now. uh, Were you from Melbourne originally? We met in Melbourne. Yes. Because I remember um, having not seen you for a really long time and then you and I intercepted of all places in the line coming out of Burning Man. We both survived. <laughs> in 2000. A little dusty, a little worn, yeah. but you know. A little dusty, a little busted, a little rusty. And, but I was, um, I had, because I hadn't seen you for a while, the last time I'd seen you previously, you were really styling. And right. the styling was a really big part of your business. And I, I always knew you uh, as someone who was um, positioning themselves in that space cleverly before I even knew who you were, I knew that you were a stylist. And so when I saw you again for the first time, I thought to myself, well, I asked you what you were working on, uh, what style you were doing, and you said, no, I'm actually doing more e-courses to train people how to be stylists. Um, what, what was that transition like from where you went from styling to then the online education space? How about I tell you about another transition? Because I've had two major career transitions in my life, and I think they're really um, relatable to people that are currently in day jobs because yes. both of them were not of my own accord. Like, I didn't want to do either of them, and the universe, I say, lovingly pushed me out of both of them. So, Perfect. This is yeah. great. Well, it's even better to get, to get that sort of post-uni context. Did you study? Yeah, I studied engineering. So I used to work on a construction site building roads and bridges, and quit that job to start a fashion label. Fashion was always my passion. I started on a sewing machine. Five years later, we had 120 accounts around Australia. We exported to Paris, Tokyo, LA, South Africa, dressed some of the biggest celebrities in the world, like Paris Hilton, and we were, you know, going great guns until we went bankrupt. Okay. So, well, just to, that was a very interesting time for all sorts of business. Right. <laughs> Mid noughties. Exactly. When was this, uh, uh, in that five year period, was that in the early noughties? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I think we finished, the label uh, went bankrupt in 2002. Okay. So, yeah, it was over that whole period. Okay, what was yeah. it called? ARX, okay. the Amber and experiment. <laughs> and was that when you were um, positioning yourself around that time, it, it seemed like there was so much, um, I actually just interviewed a Gwendolyn Birkin, who was a fashion designer. Yeah, same time, era. And yeah. she had uh, started in 97, mm-hmm. and we were the exact same era, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we, and, and a big part of our chat was 
listing all these amazing designers who then folded one by one mm-hmm. in that early noughties period, first due to like, offshore um, yeah, um, manufacturing yeah. being so common, and then the final death knell was really to do with online shopping becoming such a thing. Right. Um, and so you just couldn't fight that, so you had to either just evolve your entire business model or just get out. Yeah. And I guess that, that's what was happening to me. So we went out of business because of a manufacturer. Uh, and at that time I was insanely depressed. Like, you know, depression doesn't even cover what I went through during trying to um, recover from there. I was diagnosed with cancer. I had stomach ulcers. Like it was a total life breakdown. Like, and was that one of those things that you were having so many things going on in your life that you were then holding on to? Oh, it was totally. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then coming out of that, I was like, I will never be an entrepreneur again. I'm definitely not going to go and do this ever again. And I hate the fashion industry. I will never work in the fashion industry. That lasted about a year. And then <laughs> started the fashion styling. And that was the thing. I, I knew like design wasn't going to be my thing anymore. All the, you know, we started to get Topshop and H&M. And I was like, well, I can't compete. And to evolve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A styling focus. Styling, yeah. Also, my, um, my boyfriend makes things that he says that there's just... It's so much better to turn up and get paid the same amount oh. to style someone else's stuff <laughs> than to make the stuff yourself. Because number yeah. one, people are very good. Someone's paying you to construct something for them specifically. They're very particular about what you do, what you're doing. So there's a lot of margin for error. But also, like you're still getting paid for your time, and so you can just turn up and sell your skills as stylist, having a great <laughs> time doing that. Yeah. It's still hard work. Yeah. But what I, when you were when you, when you made that transition from engineering to fashion, mm-hmm. what was the sign from the university at this time? I was a kid then, yeah. So I mean, there was no real. I wasn't really tapped into the universe. It was just more like I had enough money, so I was going to quit. Like that was it. There was okay. no big, um, you know, aha or anything. And I just always had a love of fashion. Um, were, were you ready yourself? Um, doing the engineering and thinking, I just need to get enough money together to get out of here. No, 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 I was just working as an engineer, but my mentor recently told me actually, she was my mentor on the side, on the construction side, she was saying that I used to work on site, like in my hard hat and boots and everything, I'd be out like managing my crew and sketching dresses. And I was like, oh my God, I had no idea that I was doing that. So um, I think it was always in my blood and then, um, you know, just started language and had no clue what I was getting into. Like if I knew how difficult it would be to run a fashion label, never have done it but it was just like oh I'm just gonna make a few shirts and then next week I'll make a few more shirts and then it just kind of grew from there so it was a real challenge and at the point at which you transitioned from manufacturing or you were sort of pushed out of that space into styling how long did that chapter of your life last before you then reinvented that I think um, my first year as a stylist was really tough so I worked um, I did about three test shoots a day for an entire year so you know what a test shoot is like, and especially if you're trying to arrange a shoot, there's a lot of production and you know getting all the garments and photographers and models and everyone together. So I kind of produced three shoots for a day for a year. So I did a lot of work for free, built my folio, got you know got network, got connected, figured it all the game out, and then I grew pretty quickly from there. So how did you know that that is the way to do it? Because to me that makes sense that that would work, but I don't know if anyone would naturally think. Okay, I want to do this thing. I'm just going to do three shoots a day. Right. Again, I didn't really, there was no intention around that. It was just like, oh, this is, I'm enjoying it. I'm passionate about it. I've got a lot of enthusiasm around it. I was, you know, I loved it. I died for it, you know. So I was, I just kind of followed that passion and followed that bliss and the happiness. And I guess that was the path that it led me down. Did you have to have a financial level of financial 
safety net while you were investing a lot of resource into growing that career? Yeah, so I had lots of side hustles on my side hustle, right? So that was, I was working for free, obviously, as a stylist, but I was doing telemarketing, I was working on at a cafe on the weekend, you know, just hustling with little crappy little jobs just to pay rent whilst I had my passion that I was growing, which really wasn't on the side anymore, it was kind of the main thing. But, um, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs quitting everything and going, well, this has to feed me and this has to, you know, pay my bills. And I'm always like, well, for the first two or three years, your business isn't going to pay your bills. So you better make sure that you've got a crappy night job or, you know, a telemarketing job where you can sit and zone out for a few hours and take home some money. Isn't that reassuring as well when you don't put all the pressure on your passion to speed you? Because it, I think it's actually a little bit um, stifling because it can actually become, make your um, passion space anxiety filled. Right, and you you have that desperation around you, especially if you're trying, like as a stylist, you're trying to win clients, you're trying to win brands. So you don't want to go into meetings with that air of desperation where you're like, I need to get this job, otherwise I can't pay rent this month. So for me, it was just like, you know, find something, find other ways to pay rent and have this as your passion, as, as something that you love. Do you know, I really reckon that a few years in a, a space where I was going to castings, doing modeling stuff really trained me to A, accept rejection, right. B, put myself up for all sorts of things that I either wanted or didn't want, and then have that learning of like, oh, actually, if I play it cool, like I've already got this in the bag, you need me more than I need you, mm-hmm. that, you, they can smell that, mm-hmm. and it's so desirable. Absolutely, <laughs> in every sense, in business, in love, in relationship, yeah, in every sense. And so when you were um, in the styling space, how long did that, uh, period last fall before you started thinking, okay, I need to change the game once more. Well, again, I mean, I, I ascended pretty quickly in styling. So I was the fashion editor of Women's Health Fitness magazine. I was the resident stylist of Southern Cross Hysteria. At the time, it was our biggest radio and TV network. And I was dressing some of the biggest celebrities in the country. So I was sort of at the peak of being a fashion stylist. I had these two regular gigs. So even if I, you know, didn't get out of bed or, or didn't try to win new work, I was still going to get paid. I still had two regular jobs. And I just kind of sat on my laurels. By this time, I moved to Sydney and I was in Bondi and I had two regular styling gigs which no one you know most stylists work their entire careers to try and get one and I had two after like four years so I was like oh I've made it like look at me life is so grand and lovingly lovingly the universe came along again and due to the global financial crisis I lost both residencies in the course of like one, uh, two week two week period so all of a sudden I was back to being a freelancer and like having to win work again and Everyone's going, well, you need to build your folio, you need to do test shoots again. And I'm like, oh man, I, oh, that was me. I'm like, oh, I can't do it again. And I didn't have the passion to go and do it again. I was like, I'm not, I don't have that drive anymore. Like it doesn't like me anymore. I'm not gonna go and do that for free. And I think that's the point where you're like, okay, cool, it's time to pivot because if that seems like, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about the shit sandwich, right? And she talks about what kind of shit sandwich are you in for? And, and like to go back and do test shoots, I wasn't in for that kind of shit sandwich. But then to start a digital marketing company where it was just as tough, I mean, it was not easy. It was a lot of hard work and a lot of education, a lot of training, but I was right in for that shit sandwich, you know? Like I was like, cool, I'm ready for that. Like that sounds like fun. Is that because it's the thrill of the new and you know you're expanding your awareness? Yeah. Because yeah. maybe that's what happens if you are switched on, you are a creative person, you kind of get extra fuel from expanding your awareness around things. And I think even if you love something, you can only do it so many times before it doesn't have that same, you know, zest for you anymore. So you have to find a way to keep on taking it further, Mm -hmm. which feels, sometimes it feels like you're actually 
Like, wouldn't it be easier if I just love this one thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've done my thing, and I can just say the thing. Yeah. That, speaking of the thing, that is the thing about the thing. It's like you, it, at no point are you ever totally done, because you'll achieve this thing that you thought you were waiting your whole life mm-hmm. to achieve, and then it'll feel great for a while, and before you know it, you'll start to see the next thing off in the distance, so, and then that becomes a new mountain to climb. That's life, right? And so I love, well, I love the idea that sometimes we have a sense of this isn't enough for me anymore, I'm going to see what's in the horizon and then we move towards it and sometimes the universe pushes us on that ledge. <laughs> which, is that, the, is that the, the next main iteration of career that's taking you to where you are now? Mm-hmm. The, and so and with design and with styling and now with e-commerce or e-learning, mm-hmm. um, is that... I always I feel like you've chosen times to jump into those things where it seemed a little bit ahead of the curve. I don't feel like it, I mean, even when you and I bumped into each other in August 2016, leaving Burning Man, that idea was so new to me that even though I know what e-learning is, the idea that someone would go, no, I'm entirely existing in that workspace now, blew my mind. Right. And I, my takeaway from that experience was I left Burning Man and went to New York City and I pretty much had this non-stop travel time which meant I was awake for some inordinately <laughs> long period of time. But I finally got to my accommodation in Manhattan and I was meant to be going to sleep for the first time properly in days and my mind was on fire. I slept for a bit and then I woke up really prematurely and my mind was on fire with what you just shared with me. I remember just thinking, because all of a sudden I was thinking, sharing ideas, digital space, like all these things started going on for me and I was thinking, like, when I, I haven't had a chance to inter- intercept you again until this week when we made this podcast happen. But uh, it's amazing how the sharing of ideas really pollinates someone else's thought space. And that was all I could think about in terms of the potential to use tools to share information that you care about. What was your, at what point did you have the idea? How did you make it happen? How did you begin to educate yourself to work out how to make it happen? Mm-hmm. So my brother, I feel like my brother is always ahead of the curve and I'm following him. And so for years he was saying, you need to do an e-course, you need to do an e-course. And I was like, oh, no, that's not a thing, I'm not going to do it. And by chance, I just shot an e-course on how to be a stylist um, before I lost both my styling gigs. Like only like two or three months before. And it was totally a random, you know, I just sat down one day and recorded everything that I knew just by chance and threw it up onto this website called Udemy, which was like an e-learning marketplace. It was like years ago just started and I remember at the time I was like oh I am going to retire like I started looking for airline tickets to Hawaii I'm like this is it you know passive income and like nothing happened there was crickets right so um that was sort of in the September of the year and then in December I lost all of my jobs so then it came to January and I was like well I have this e-course sitting here and I didn't even know that it was a thing right I didn't know it was an industry or that it was an you know an income stream or anything so I just kind of like again stumbled into it like it was just sort of like well, I'm interested in online. I come from an engineering background. I'm pretty techy. I'm pretty good with numbers. So let's start exploring. I was passionate about it. You know, I was fascinated by it. So again, just went down that track of, well, I'm going to start reading blogs. I'm going to start watching videos. I'm going to follow my interest down that little rabbit hole. Um, and that was my first year, basically. So again, my first year, I took 18 e-courses of how to be an e-course person. So like, you know, how to do Facebook ads, how to do digital marketing, email marketing, you know, Google ads. So like literally just learned this whole industry by doing e-courses. And then it took about two years for it to all kick in. 
And then, yeah, by about the third year, everything's just kind of like, now I'm like this funnel ninja. I love building funnels. And I just talk about funnels all day, which no one knows what a funnel is. Or no, I, mean, I, I, have, I have an idea because I, I try and use that when describing a marketing strategy for right. content for my clients. Yeah. But for those who don't know, what is a funnel? <laughs> funnel is just like a customer engagement sequence, I guess, or a nurture sequence. So when someone finds you online and they don't know who you are, what sequence do you bring them through to get, you know, give them value and to warm them up and get them to know you and like you and trust you so that you can eventually potentially get them onto your sales list or get them by an e-course in my regard. Yeah, yeah I, well, I, I think that, I mean, I suppose we're constantly in funnels responding to these things and when you're and when it's successful, like all forms of marketing, you're actually quite happy, happily participating in it. And then, like, <laughs> right. like a bad sales pitch when it's not charming, you're like, oh, like grind, like really grinding for years. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give an idea, I mean, I, I'm intrigued by the idea of setting yourself this goal. Okay, I'm going to exist in the e-commerce space, mm-hmm. and that what I call what my another I love Elizabeth Gilbert, but another one of my all-time heroes is Julia Cameron of the Artist's mm-hmm. Way, and one yeah. of her big. Uh, notions is filling the well. You know, you set yourself an idea for a creative problem you want to solve, and you just fill your well with as many different references or ideas or research or information as possible. And the amalgamation of those ideas is where you, your genius comes into play. Right. But in the meantime, you actually need something to draw from. Mm-hmm. And so, is it because you've got an engineering background that you understand technique around structure and how to facilitate a creative process? You know logistically sound way <laughs> because there are, many, there are many creative people who can't really yeah, they construct right. the scaffolding around their creative career yeah, or how to get this idea into a reality or, or to compartmentalize yeah. the stages like okay there's the goal these are the seven steps I need to get to the goal within step one there's these five mm-hmm. mini steps and I'm going to you know that's a very specific yeah. skill set to have you're right I guess, and that's what I've always said about engineering, it taught me how to think and how to solve problems. So, for, you know, I'm forever grateful that I have that as a background. Uh, and I guess the fashion design was very much the same thing. Like, it was very much like, oh, I have a collection in my head. How do I get that into a sample collection? And then how do I sell that? And then how do I bring that to market? So I guess I have always been going through this process. Interestingly, though, with this current business, um, it's the first time in my life that I felt like I'm fully... Uh, using all of my gifts and abilities, right? So engineering was so analytical and, you know, all of that, but no creative. Whereas fashion design was kind of a little bit of both, whereas styling was all creative and no, you know, no analysis, no data, no technical background. So this is the first time that I really feel like in equal parts, I'm like equally, you know, data-driven and analysis-driven and really needing to use a lot of that left brain as well as the right brain. So it's a really... um, for once I feel very fulfilled, which I find very interesting because if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have been so fulfilled that fashion design was going to be my thing forever or that fashion styling was going to be my thing forever. And now I'm like, well, actually this is, you know, I feel much more alive than like myself in this thing. We have this like, uh, with career and our passions as with romance, I feel like I've sometimes, every time I've been in some form of love with what I'm doing or some person, it just feels like it's forever. Forever. You know, you just think, Forever and ever, and that's the measure of success in your mind. If I'm doing it forever, it's it, it's it's been a success. It works. But I definitely think that some things, love and passions, are not necessarily forever. They just come into your life to serve a purpose. To expand you and to grow. Yeah. And I love the idea that you uh, have been probably intuiting your way through these stages, like engineering into fashion, into styling, into this space that combines 
the elements very beautifully, but I think you almost need to fall in love to the degree that you think it's forever in order for your commitment to be so. For sure. Because if you did think it was a holiday, you might not take it seriously. Yeah, you would take it seriously and you wouldn't, you know, work the hundred hours a week that it requires to get it off the ground or, you know, go in deep that you actually need to to get that business off the ground. And I think that's, you know, when people are trying to decide what is my passion, what's my purpose, like follow that thing that you're like, I will do a hundred hours a week happily. Like I'm happy to do that now and not get paid because that's the thing that you will eventually turn into something. And honestly, it doesn't matter whether you think it's going to be like a million dollar career or not. And especially in my space, like in e-courses, there are people that teach e-courses of how to play piano and they've made millions of dollars from the e-course. So, you know, you would never think to start, and people that teach like how to train your dog and it's like a million dollar e-course. So someone sitting at home going, well, I don't have a million dollar idea. You know, all I, all I know how to do is train dogs. Well, if you're super passionate about that, then maybe follow that path and see where that path is going to lead you. Part of your, actually many of the stages post-engineering in your career, your being, the own, being your own face to your brand has been an integral part of marketing yourself. Um, as a stylist, people want to know who they're working with because it's so collaborative. And as a designer, there's actually like part of the story that you're buying into in terms of the, maybe that's more so now than it would have been in the you know, late 90s, early noughties, but definitely within the influencer space and within selling um, ideas, it helps people to know who they're connecting to. And you're really great at designing an experience for which you're front and center. Mm. What has that process been like in terms of working out how to um, find a version of yourself that is relatable and understandable and, and are you are you communicating with people online who are just versions of Amber and Amber? Uh, no, I'm communicating with people to help them find a version of themselves. Yeah, and such an interesting interesting question there because that's actually one of the e-courses that I teach, a personal branding course, because I do feel like I'm pretty good at being a personal branding expert. So interesting that you should even recognize that, so thank you. Um, I guess in terms of personal branding, it's really for women, because I teach women, pretty, pretty much only women, for women, a lot of our um, personal brand comes from our confidence and permission and you know being able to be seen, being able to be heard and wanting to be the face of our brand, which for women is a really difficult thing. I don't know if it's the same for men because I don't have as many conversations with men, um, but I find that women have a really hard time with you know self-confidence and all those sort of things. So I have a subtle undertone of um, overcoming fears and teaching self-confidence and self-love in all of my trainings, which goes in partnership with the very technical, you know, this is your personal brand, this is how to become a personal brand, this is, you know, the steps that you can take. So I kind of blend the two in because I just feel like they're so important. What is it about this day and age that makes the need to identify a personal brand so potent? It seems that it's a concept that's only existed in my awareness for the past couple of years. Mm. And it seems, I'm sure over the last decade, as a people, we have been embracing the notion without calling it that. But why now and what's the importance of the personal brand? I think with the advent of social media, you know, even five years ago, we were not disconnected on social, you know, like when you and I were doing our thing back in Melbourne, you would never have gotten on Instagram or on Facebook. It wasn't really that kind of a thing. So I think with social media, we are really invested in people, you know, we really want to know, hey, what's that person doing? There's sort of that voyeuristic kind of feel to, to life in general. So I think, um, and especially in business, people, as you said, people really want to know who they're working with and who they're connecting with, especially if you're learning from someone who are you learning from? So I think it is, um, I think we're heading way more into the personal brand era as well. Like I think in the future, personal brands will be much bigger. You know, there'll be 
five, six people for every person, like, you know, the staff that they're hiring to manage their personal brands. And I think they will kind of be the companies of the future. It's so fascinating because it's, it makes sense that things would continue in that space. But I was also, you know, wondering whether, you know, like social media sometimes feels antisocial because we're, it's the illusion of connectivity when we don't feel like we can, because you can actually spend a lot of time on social media and sort of feel a bit isolated sometimes. Like you're not actually having genuine connection with people. And what I am tossing up between at the moment is when you contribute work that is connected to passion that you really believe in, that is really authentic. And so social media is not actually the social part or the connected part or the passion part. Social media is just a conduit or a marketplace mm -hmm. to then engage with the stuff that does mean something, right. which is people's work and ideas and maybe things that are the personal brands. The, the work that comes through personal branding, because it does mean something to you, I have a feeling that that, that feels more authentic Absolutely. than social media interaction otherwise. For sure, yeah. And, and also, you know, people are wanting authenticity and wanting vulnerability and wanting to really have human, gen genuine connections. And that's definitely the area that we're heading into. You know, I think in the past, social media has been like, look at my perfect life, like I am so perfect. And I think moving forward, people are going to be like, hey, this is the real me. This is, and like what you said, this is what I'm genuinely passionate about. You know, like for me, I talk a lot about funnels on my social media. No one cares about funnels, but I'm like super passionate about building funnels. So um, I think it's like, you know, we'll be able to find that mix of what people are passionate about and what people um, like, to, like to watch, I guess. Are the people who are coming to you through the work that you're doing broadening? Because I have a feeling that once upon a time, someone who thought, I'm going to invest in a personal, in building my personal brand, uh, early adopters probably seemed quite shrewd or quite, you know, like it was something that was not very everyday. So it just felt like if you were doing that, then maybe you were doing it, uh, and it was a niche group of people who were participating in it. Now I feel like it's the future and everyone's going to be doing it. So has, have you noticed a broadening of who's coming to you to ask for inspiration in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So I work with a lot of women of all ages and demographics and um, backgrounds and even business types. So they're all business women that are wanting to do some type of business, but some of them are, you know, um, doing like MLM on network marketing and some of them are doing uh, corner shops, you know, they've got like a, a shop that they've opened, they know that they need to start engaging with their customers more. And I think that's the thing, you know, if you've got like a bricks and mortar brand or a, you know, a brand that doesn't necessarily have a face, well, how do you form that human connection with people um, when you're running a brand like that? So I guess that's where people are going, well, I do need to put more um, content out that people are going to connect with. And really that comes down to people wanting to know who I am and wanting to get to know me and why I built this store or why I created this brand or whatever it is. So I think that's sort of where we're headed. Do you always feel comfortable in front of the camera and relating ideas or is that something that's evolved with time? Uh, I have always felt comfortable in front of the camera. Um, there is a lot of imposter syndrome that I've had in the last few years when I've called myself an educator. So even though you know I'm a natural educator, I've been teaching for years and constantly helping and sharing and empowering women. But once I put that label on myself, I'm like, well, who do you think you are? You know, like how dare you? So and that's just been an interesting exploration on of itself. Because the average person who comes to you has to look at that for themselves too. That would be a very common uh, syndrome for people who want to be sharing ideas right. that like oh do I deserve to be talking in this space or who am I to mm -hmm. try and 
be a voice in the space. Yeah, but who are you not to? You know, we're all waiting for someone's voice. Like everyone, even whether you're waiting to inspire a thousand people, whether you're going to inspire the three people around you, you know, maybe your children and your husband that need you, like you're still inspiring someone, right? And a lot of that comes down to having the confidence to put yourself out there and having the confidence to actually step up and be the inspiration. When it comes to people who are learning ideas about marketing and personal branding, uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes people make or pitfalls when they are entering the space for the first time? I guess like the biggest takeaway that I've had now in three businesses and the biggest, um, this one I've succeeded uh, the quickest in this business, so we were monetized really quickly, we six years in the first year. The reason being is because I invested in education, right? So in the first year I did 18 e-courses, learned from every single person that was one step ahead of the game or 10 steps ahead of the game or had been doing it for 10 years or whatever it was. I was just like, you are doing what I'm going to do. I'm going to download your wisdom, I'm going to download your knowledge, I'm going to learn from you. And whether that's buying an e-course or hiring a mentor or just reading all the blogs and the videos, um, and that has been the biggest aha that I've had in this business because as a fashion stylist, you would know in that industry, you don't help each other. Like you would never go, hey, other competitor fashion stylists, like can you help me? Like it's not how it happens. And certainly in fashion design, like 10 years ago, there was no such thing as a, oh, you can hire a mentor, like this wasn't a thing. So I think these days, education is so readily available, there's so much content available, whether you buy an equals, whether you just, you know, dive deep on the free content and educate yourself, rather than bashing around for so long trying to figure out how to do it. You give a lot of great information away for free. Like I receive your weekly <laughs> emails. And I find it so inspiring and just, it's just, I also feel like when I'm, because I make lots of content for brands to inspire people to, you know, be entertained, to do things differently, to be more creative or expressive. And then that's what I love to do for myself as well. And I know that my viewership would be split into two groups of people. People who will actively act on the advice and those who won't necessarily act on it, but are just very happy to receive it because it's really inspiring and it kind of makes you plant seeds for what you might do for yourself in the future when you're ready. So when I've looked at your email out, the, the information that you share is um, very generous. It looks like you're, you're giving away a lot. How do you determine what goes in the paid offering and what you give? Because it almost seems like, well, what else is there? There's, there's so much good stuff in here. Yeah, and that, that is a fine line. And also, um, I guess with the free stuff, it's like what you need to do, but the paid stuff is how to do it. So the free stuff is like, you know, you need to understand email marketing and personal branding and, you know, publicity and performance and things like that. But then how do you go about that? Well, that's behind the, that's in e-course. So you said you have three businesses out currently. What are those? So I have three e-courses that are live at the moment. My first one is the How to Be a Fashion Stylist course. I'm still the only um, fashion stylist that has reached this level of the industry that's now educating the next generation. And I'm pretty sure I'm still the only um accredited um, digital e-course in fashion science, so that's really cool. So that's kind of like my um, first little foray into, into e-courses, and it still goes really strong, it's a really great course. How do you get accredited? Uh, so we've gone through like, yeah, like an accreditation process, and we've yeah, got all the you know, marketing certification and all things like that. Um, and then my second course is uh, Amplify Your Impact, which is a personal branding course for female entrepreneurs. Um, uh, sounds like something I would enjoy. Yeah, you would love it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say female, how is it female? Is it that the terminology or the wording or the design is, is, is speaking to a certain type of uh, female 
recipients? So I built the course with both male and female in mind. So anyone could do the course. It's not um, gender specific. It's gender neutral. But the marketing, I find, like when I've tried to market to men in the past, uh, I just do not relate to men. Men. <laughs> I don't think any man looks at me and goes, oh yeah, I want to become her, right? Whereas I think women look at her and go, why? Well, I like what she's got going on and going to investigate. Um, but I think that I'm a very feminine female. And um, my marketing, my language, and my videos vary. You know, it's all of the feminine lipstick, you know, even the look, the appearance, and the words and everything, the language. So I've tried in the past to market this course to, to men, but it just hasn't had the cut through. So now I'm like, cool, let's, you know, as with all brands, you should niche down and really make sure that you're speaking to your ideal customer. So now I'm like, right, I know exactly who my ideal customer is. I'm going to have conversations directly to her and make sure that like all of the content that I'm putting out for the course is targeted directly to her. So your ideal customer isn't necessarily you five years ago. Your ideal customer is sort of uh, people who would see themselves in your journey and relate to that and get power from that. Is that right? Yeah, or just any female entrepreneur that wants to, that realizes that they need to be the face of their brand. So they're like, well, I need to connect more. I don't like putting myself on social, but I know I need to be on social. Or I know I need to create videos, but I hate being on video. Or I'd love to do live workshops, but I don't want to be on a live workshop, but I know that I need to do them. So it's just giving people the real tools, like very practical tools around like, cool, you want to do a workshop? All right, so step number one, here's how to plan your workshop. Here's what you're going to say at your workshop, you know, and like really taking people all the way through that journey. Could you take someone from a place of thinking, I'd never want to get in front of the camera. Um, why would I ever do that to feeling like that's not me? Okay, but <laughs> great idea. All the time, every day of the week. Every day I get emails from people going, I, I'm terrified of camera or um, my favorite one is uh, um, Giselle, she's never been able to speak in public, terrified of speaking on stage, but her job needs her to be on stage, so she's always like had someone else from her business coming into it for her, she did my course, and now she loves being on stage. So it unlocks a lot of fears that we've had. I do like a whole section on fears and um, a lot of the fears that we have for being on camera. So as women, we have all these fears that are like, you know, fear of being seen, fear of being heard. So I actually break all that down in the course as one of the modules. And then I give you the actual tools. Like, oh, you want to speak on camera? Cool. Make sure you've got good lighting. Make sure you've got a good camera, you know, because a lot of, for women, it's like, oh my God, I look awful. It's like, well, yeah, you're in a dark room with shadows and your camera is really bad. Like, no wonder you look awful. So just very, we go from really practical tips to, um, more so the, the mindset behind it as well. And what was the third course? So the third course is a mindset course. So that's that course is called The Movement and it's 30 daily success rituals to change the way you think in order to live your best life. So this is really my passion project. Again, I just kind of built it because I was like, I, you know, I'm so deep into mindset and um, limiting beliefs and I really have a lot of little daily success rituals that I've done myself to try and like build myself esteem, build myself love, build myself care, but even just build like, um, you know, practical productivity hacks each day or like, you know, how to set myself up for success or how to get in the mindset of a millionaire. So all these little hacks that I do, it takes five minutes to do the course each day and it just really builds on, you know, creating a really beautiful life for yourself. Where do you gather all of this amazing inspiration from? Because it sounds like you're, you've just found your process from having observed a lot of different leaders. Mm -hmm. 
who are your heroes? Who do you look to when you're feeling like you need inspiration or feeling that well? Mm-hmm. So, um, Brene Brown is probably my best like guru kind of person. I just love her. I love what she's all about. She's just that, you know, no holds barred, you know, straight talking kind of spirituality person. I just love her. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. I love her books. Um, but honestly, these days I'm deep into my astrology. So I'm just like, okay, what's happening in the planets? Like, what's going on up there? So you've spoken about a couple of periods of evolution in your journey and every time you've been in the previous chapter, it did seem like it was forever. Do you think about what another chapter could look like and if not this, then what would the next journey might be? I do. Um, and I'm also very unattached to what the next journey could be and also to this journey in particular as well. I think coming from the last two uh, companies where the universe lovingly removed me from those businesses, uh, now I'm so less attached to how long I'm going to be in this industry for and what the next iteration is. And what I know for a fact is that you know I'm a big on reinvention, I'm big on transformation, so I know that I'll survive and I'll get through to the next one if that's what the universe has in store for me. So I think there's a lightness around that, whereas there was a lot of attachment with the other businesses of like, well, this has to last forever. Um, in terms of what may what it may look like, so Uranus has just gone into Taurus, so <laughs> it's kind of a big deal for me. I have Taurus rising, so and then Jupiter goes into Sagittarius next year. So like the stars are saying, there's a lot about to happen. So um, you know maybe next year could be a big year. There's certainly some huge projects on the horizon in terms of like American TV shows and things like that. So we don't know. I might be venturing back into that kind of era. Um, back in Melbourne, I was doing a lot of TV presenting and a lot of that kind of thing, so I think I might be sort of merging back into that kind of area. How did you know whether, because you sound to me like someone who could do so many different things. Was that a challenge to work out where to put your energy when you love to, like, I could be a TV presenter, I could be fashion, I could be, you know, you could be magazines, you could, there are so many different areas that you could work in. How did you decide what to invest your energy in at what time? I guess I went for whatever, like low hanging fruit. So whatever was the easiest at that time, that was the one that I went and did. So whenever TV presenting felt like it wasn't wasn't breaking through for me, I would move away from that and I would focus on the styling. Or when styling felt like it was getting hard and wasn't flowing, there was no flow, and I was like, okay, cool, it's time to look at something else. So I guess it was all about the flow and the ease of the, of each of them and figuring out, well, you know, the universe is opening a lot of doors for me over here. How about we go down that path and see where that leads us? Did you have anyone? Teach you this framework through which to experience life and how to, you know, respond to the flow. Because I feel like there's a lot of people who are receiving the nudges from the universe who don't actually heed the clues, and they usually wait. I always like to think that the universe will first try and whisper it in your ear. If you don't pay attention, it'll tap you on the shoulder, and if you don't pay attention, it'll smack Push you off the head. Yeah. If you don't pay attention, it'll give you a sledgehammer to the face. And so, you know, you just have to pay attention. Uh, to the clues which are always there. I always. Um, was that something that you had to be hit with the slow jammer before you started to listen to the whispers? Oh, for sure. I mean, the first business went bankrupt. 
second line, like lost both within a month. So yeah, there was a lot of, it's really in, the, in this business that I've been super deep on, like, let's see what's happening out here first, and then I'll use that to navigate the path. Whereas before I was like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, you know, go down that path first. So um, definitely, and also hindsight is such a great teacher, you know, when you can look back and go, oh, that's what that was all about. And oh, I actually probably should have done it that way. Or And, you know, you don't learn those things until you fail a bunch of times, until you, you know, get things wrong a bunch of times wrong in inverted commas um and and go through these hardships and go through the failures that you're like oh okay um that's where the path was or 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 through failure comes enlightenment you know, comes the new path what's do you have any um little method or modality for someone that's in the depth of having had the rug pulled out from under them when they have just been hit with a slow hammer and they are forced out of their comfort zone what would you recommend that someone could do to begin that process of, of healing to look at what the reason behind the rug pulling was? Mm, it's just quiet time, isn't it? It's just sitting with yourself and, and asking yourself those questions. I think, oh, you know, I wish it was more fun than that, but it really isn't. It's just introspection and, you know, I took a lot of time in a bath. Like, I would just sit in a bath for hours and hours each day. I know that sounds luxurious, but it was more just sitting there and going, well, what, what is this all about? Like, what am I supposed to be learning here? What is the lessons here? What am I missing here? And if you sit with yourself for long enough in a meditation or just in a quiet place, if, you, if you're not a meditator, if you sit and ask yourself those questions, you will eventually get the answers. I also love the idea that, say, for example, this, this, these ideas, like what you just described, is totally alien to someone. They're thinking, I'm not going to go and meditate for six hours a day. You're insane. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of, okay, what's the baby step version of that? Maybe it's a case of if you're always surrounded by the chatter mm-hmm. of people, why don't you go and spend your lunch break by yourself? Mm-hmm. Or why don't you give yourself a music and podcast-free train journey home mm-hmm. so you can sit and see, yeah. what's, see what's coming up, see what's bubbling up in your own thoughts. Yeah, or even yeah. like a walk around the block if you, you know, rather than have another like seventh coffee for the day, <laughs> do the, the micro meditation that doesn't actually require much more than just going for a walk. Totally. And that's exactly what the movement is. That's my mindfulness course. So that's exactly what we're teaching there. So little five-minute pockets of your day where you're enlisting things like mindfulness and you know self-focus and self-awareness and all those kind of things that are just so important but when you're not training it's like if you don't know what meditation is or you haven't really been um, passionate about learning it then how would you know to go and sit with yourself for 20 minutes and meditate or whatever it is so the movement really teaches like little pockets of self-awareness well, I, do, I, I love to end by asking people, so if I were to bump into you in a year's time, what is something that you're working on that you would love to have in the bag, nailed, or be really far along with, that, that's just sort of like on the horizon currently? So I'll give you two answers, professionally and personally. Yeah. So professionally, we have a US TV show in the pipeline, so it could all fall over between now and then, as you know, it's not um, a science field de- delivered deal just yet, but hopefully that will come off and hopefully um, I may be on network TV in the US next year. Professionally, that would be really fun, right, because that would open up a lot of doors in terms of my own platform and the e-courses and I'd be able to educate and empower a lot more women all over the world. So, fingers crossed that comes off, but if not, hey, we don't know about the universe. Maybe the universe has something bigger than me. We don't know, right? Um, and personally, hopefully, hopefully, in a year's time, I will have worked out all of my money blocks. I have a lot of money blocks and a lot of blocks to abundance and blocks to wealth and blocks to, um, you know, creating great wealth for myself. Um, and I've been working on this 
pretty solidly for like 18 months and I kind of keep thinking like, oh, I'm so close. I've sorted everything out. And then just recently there's been like another lot of like, no, no, you haven't done all the work. Like you need to keep working on that. So um, I feel like this is kind of one of the last areas in my life that I just haven't quite got right yet. Um, and I've never been able to marry the huge success that I've had with a huge bank account. So I'm hoping that, you know, once I figure out all these money blocks, then those two will align. I also love the idea that, you know, everyone does, so many people do have money blocks. So the idea that you would be able to do the journey and then create the roadmap for other people to take the journey afterwards, it's a really, like, that is a great hurdle for you to have to jump <laughs> so that then you can say you can become the coach about that process. That's definitely something that could happen, yeah. So for anyone who's been really inspired by the ideas that you've shared who could potentially find out more from your e-learning opportunities, is there like a, a little nugget of inspo that you would give to someone who has is being inspired to start thinking in these terms for the first time? Like I could I could really invest some energy in becoming, uh, you know, working out what my offering is through a personal branding exercise or, you know, what's, where does someone begin that journey besides from, you know, investigating the work they could do with you? Yeah, well, I actually have a free personal branding course, which is kind of like 101 on personal branding. So we talked about personal branding, social media. We talked a little bit about fears and overcoming fears and things like that. So if you go to mbrenner.com slash free, you can grab that. Um, otherwise, there are a heap of great resources online, you know, that you can just find and Google and, and go down the path and start learning, for sure. Great. Well, I, I have no doubt that this is just like a lovely little pit stop in what is a continuing journey to do so many beautiful things. And I love that we get to get to cross paths at these really interesting junctures. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've, I've actually taken so much from what I've observed in your e-learning space and think your journey is so inspirational. So I think it's been really beautiful and inspiring and I'm totally excited for you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thank you for letting me share with your audience. I hope they got a lot out of it. I don't doubt they did. <laughs> <laughs> thank you.